Mr. and Mrs. America, no all the ships at sea. I just woke up. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. It's the Joey Buns. We're here again with Pete Inahosa from Insperity. We had a great conversation with Pete a few weeks ago, and we're here to follow up on that, talking about behavioral assessments, continuing with team engagement, and also uh, some mental breaks. So all Pete, right. welcome. Thanks for coming on again. That's my pleasure. Thank y'all for having me again. I had a great time with y'all last time. Yeah, we learned a ton of information last time. It was great. I've actually gone through some of the stuff that you sent us again, shared it with some of my team. I was recently at a uh, seminar and uh, was just talking about it the whole time, the nine core strategies and, and everything that we spoke about. That was one of the things that I love about teaching the nine strategies. I, I, I think Sometimes it's hard to explain what you do unless it's really specific. So what do you do? Well, I do leadership development. Okay, what in the world is that? We do HR outsourcing. What in the world is that? But when you learn those nine strategies and you think about how we impact culture and then hiring, recruiting, and retention, liability, compliance, and then you get an idea yourself that we cover all those different areas and how we help you and your company be strategic about it instead of reactive all the time. Now you have the ability to go share with somebody Here's why you have a performance management system. Here's why you have this admin site, this premier site that collects all your reports. Here's what you do with it. So that's my favorite part about teaching it to business owners. I've owned my business for 20 years. I've never thought about those nine strategies in that order to help me be more strategic. Thank y'all for letting us share that with you. This is why I do what I do. I'm going to say this up front so that you can hopefully appreciate. I was a high school teacher for 20 years and I would have never... Um, even thought about entering into the corporate world. I thought about one thing, how can I be a really good teacher? My first year of teaching, 23 years old, teaching physics and chemistry that year. And one of my young students told me that her life wasn't worth living. So I went home, talked to my dad, and I said, what can I do to help these kids? Because it's not like she was even struggling in my class. She was struggling with herself personally. And he said, go back and all that stuff I used to teach you about Zig Ziglar and Dennis Waitley and Jim Rohn and Brian Tracy. He ended up going from teaching high school to working for AAA, American Automobile Association. He was the sales and marketing director for more than 25 years. So anytime he found something that was really exciting, he would come home and he would call a sales meeting, which is really just a family meeting. And it was me and my three sisters and my mom. And he would sit us in our uh, living room and that sales meeting would be on setting goals. His greatest love was to remind you that attitude was your choice. No one gets to take it away from you. You got to have a five-year plan. What's your five-year plan, son? And I'm like, five. I'm making it to 10. I have no idea what five-year plan is. He would read chapters out of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People with us. The big C's, do not criticize, condemn, or complain. And you're like, okay, I'm five. I don't even know what those words mean, but I'm in. And uh, he loved Zig Ziglar. And so Zig Ziglar, anything where he would speak about or present about, he would go see him speak. And then he would come home and tell us about it. Got to have a checkup from the neck up. So my dad was just one of these people that just decided to live out this life and encourage people. And most importantly, me and my three sisters. And so I immediately went back into my classroom and started sharing. And this book is called Born to Win. It's by Lewis Timberlake. I read this to my students every day. It's all on self-image and goal setting and thinking about who you are and how you go about living your life and overcoming fear. When we have something that we believe has worth, what do we do with it? We take care of it. But if you really have a good collection of something, you don't just take care of it. You put it behind a you know, glass. Like, this is really good. It's like my wife won't even let me 
sit in certain parts of our house. It's like the good chair. That's only for company. You're not even allowed to sit in that chair. Whoa, hold on. It's, it, isn't that our chair? No, that's a good chair. You're like, my God, you treat that chair pretty good. That's what we do with things that we value. And I went into my classroom each day, five minutes a day. And I said, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to teach you a little bit about life since we're in the study of life biology, but it's not going to be about biology. It's going to be about your life, setting goals, seeing yourself the right way, going for your dreams, taking action in your life, having care, thinking about the things that mean something, your handshake means something, commitment, loyalty, having courage sometimes when you're afraid to talk to somebody, those things mean something. And so I would share all these thoughts. And then over time, that's what helped me win some awards as an educator and I was teaching science, but really I was teaching life. And the more I learned, the more I wanted to know, the more certifications I got so that I could help more people. And Sparity was one of my clients as a leadership development client. And they asked if I'd come in and do their sales leadership development. We started at 40 companies or 40 offices when I first started. And my job was to make sure that we grew from 40. So we're now at 80 offices. But my job was to write, develop, and design the curriculum that would help leaders take over an office and get up to speed more quickly. And that was a strategy. If you remember last time, we talked about this idea of, so we have a streamline a process, minimize uh, the risk, and then maximize the people. And so the strategy was, what can we do to get our offices up to speed more quickly? The liability was, if we didn't have trained leaders, then we would lose them or we wouldn't get up to speed and we're spending a lot of money opening these offices. And then how do you maximize your people in that arena? And I would say through leadership development. And so I'm gonna share some of that with you all today. Some of the key things that I talk about all the time when people get worn out, beat up, feel as though they can't move anymore, stressed, anxiety, and the tips and tools I use for myself and for people all the time to help them get going. So there's the opener. That's a, that took a long time to get there, but we're there. Great information. I told you about six, seven years ago, we shift focus to concentrate on the team and making sure that they're happy more than concentrating on the customers. And we built out this whole program. And now you're going to learn a ton more. When I think about leadership development, there's two thoughts in this field. One is training and the other is development. And I think a lot of people do training, but they forget about the power of development. And I'll always say the same thing. Training will change your day development will change your culture. If somebody comes in, does a little disc information or personality information, and well, we did that training. Well, we learned that. Again, I'll use some Zig Ziglar's, but motivation doesn't last. He'd always say, neither does a bath. That's why I like to take one pretty often. And so there's moments in your life where if you're going to develop something over time, it's not a one-time thing. You guys have learned even in your processes that if you just did training one time, you may or may not get the results you want. But if you develop someone with those core principles, those strategies, those, that process, the next thing they're able to go teach somebody else, it's become part of them compared to, yeah, we did that one time. It was fun. I think, I don't remember. You guys remember it? I think it's in a drawer somewhere. I know we did that training one time, but it's not part of your culture. If you want trust and those core values we talked about last time to be part of your culture, they have to be everywhere. They have to be in your rewards and your recognition, how you treat people, how leaders live it out. I think when I do this, how can I be intentional about development? Because that's going to impact our culture. And it's got to be top down. It's got to be leadership at the top implementing it. 
<laughs> I'll have people that when I was doing this full time, they would, yeah, we heard that you're pretty good at this communication and team building kind of stuff. And man, our new team, we got a new manager is just wiping out people and they're just tearing through. Excuse, should you come and help us? I'm like, I don't know, but I can come and I sure can do what I do. I don't know if we can help. And then sure enough, that manager will come up. They'll introduce me. Uh, they'll destroy my name. Uh, yeah, we've got this uh, consultant, Pete. I just remember Joe said, I don't know what it is. Anyway, he's uh, he's here with us today. I told you how this team's really struggling and everybody's stressed out. We're going to build some team and some trust today. And uh, they're all thinking we're going to jump off of boards or something. I don't know, hug each other. And I'm like, listen, we're not going to, we're going to be fine. And uh, and then he goes, okay, so you guys have a great day and leaves. And I'm like, where, where are you going? You're the leader. You're the manager. And that's the part that I see most often is we'll put this type of development in at this level because they need it. And we just have other people acquiesce it for us. Anyway, I remember saying to him, and I didn't, by the way, after I did this one, I didn't get another opportunity to speak to him because I turned to the group and I said, anybody is that when the person that just left, is that the issue? <laughs> the whole team was like shaking their head up and down. Yeah, he's the problem. I was like, well, I wish he was here. And so I said, we're gonna have a great day anyway. And I'll Hopefully, I'll be able to share with you some ideas about how to better interact with them and everything else. But the one that was creating most of the strife was the one that left. And you think to yourself, for goodness sakes, this is the whole point of doing this. You pulled your team together and then you leave because, well, you, man, I'm busy. I'm important. Not too busy to lead the people that you've hired. Anyway, training versus. Yeah, that's tough too, because as an owner leader, if you don't really know what they're trying to implement, you may get in the way of it. Absolutely. Or they're implementing it and you're looking at it going like this. Why are you guys using that information? You put the guy in front of us to, to teach us it. So we're, we're using it. They're like, don't do that. Just do this. Then don't spend the money because it's expensive. If you have somebody that's a high level consultant come in and you know what we do, it costs some serious dollars to do stuff like that. But people can have attorneys and consultants and all kinds of things come in. They spend a lot of money trying to get the people to act right then implement it and, and do it as part of your natural strategy to develop your people. I got a question. Yes, sir. And that guy that walked out, who was his boss? Yeah, that's a good point. The person above him was the owner of the company and he put him in charge as the new leader. The owner had said, can you work with this team? So I had to end up working with them. So the owner wasn't there either. I was at lunch one day with a guy who was... At his job, he was pretty high up. And I was talking about this guy's giving me trouble and this is wrong with the guy. And looked at me, goes, let me ask you a question. What's wrong with the boss? And I said, I never thought of that. How <laughs> could there be anything wrong with me? And anyway, I changed the way I did a lot of things, just that one lunch. I'm not saying that, the, that a leader has to be in every training, but I am saying if you're going to put the development and spend the money on something that you're going to implement through your whole staff, it's a good idea for you to learn it as well. It's a good idea for you to know it and understand it. Because just to your point a second ago, if they're sitting there talking about it and all of a sudden you're immediately shutting it off, like, why are you guys doing that? Or why are you saying that? Then all of a sudden the lack of support creates a lot of dissonance between two people saying, wait a minute, we just went through this training. I thought that's what you wanted us to do. I don't even understand what y'all are talking about. That's the hardest part. Try not to implement a strategy and develop your people in something you're not willing to develop in yourself because 
the simplest way to put it is it creates the, the hypocrisy that people don't like to see. If you're going to talk about it, then walk it. And then the bigger the company gets, it almost feels if we're not careful as leaders, we can continue to allow other people to lead for us. But I, I got to tell y'all that, that at the level of leadership, when someone owns a company, a single word, a single gesture, a moment when you walk in and um, you rally around the, the key culture and the values that you believe in, and you share those from your vantage point, it's the most powerful thing that a leader can do. And y'all know this. It's one thing for the teacher to say, it's a different thing for the principal to come in and say it. Every level of leadership has the ability much more quickly to, okay, here's the vision, everybody. And I'm, I'm leading this little group. And then the person that's above me comes in and says, yes, we're falling through it. And then the owner of the company says, absolutely. And then you're watching everybody in line doing the same thing. And we all believe, and we're all pointed in the same direction. That's powerful. I don't care if it's this is what we do to reach our goals, or this is what we do to develop our people. This, the same principle is important. Last year was the first year that we put on paper strategic initiatives for every department. And it's at everybody's desk. Everybody has it on their phone. And it's just a reminder. And sometimes we'll be talking about something. I'll be like, oh, look. That's part of the initiative for your department. We're already there. Great job. And you could just see people starting to get it. You're right. The more I say it, the more everybody else starts to say it. And then the more it's just natural. Yeah. It's the way you're leading by example. You, you live in what you're trying to teach them. And if you live it right, they're going to buy into it. A hundred percent. There's a book and I think it's called Walk the Talk. A great book. I want to say it's by Alan Deutschman. And he talks about all of the different leaders that are out there that you'd be surprised that when they put the strategy together, the vision together, and then they walk it as the leader themselves, that changes everything. One of the stories they used in the book was about Martin Luther King. And just there was a year prior to the I Have a Dream speech. And he was on a stage. There were very, there was a lot of really talented people in that civil rights movement, and maybe even more that did put their lives on the line physically at moments. And Dr. King was one of these people that was very charismatic. So he's on a stage speaking to an entire group, and a gentleman comes out of the group, comes up and punches him, hits him. So he's obviously disgruntled with this whole movement, punches Dr. King. He goes to the ground, he gets back up and he's going to punch him again. And by that time, obviously people are going to come and, and help him. And Dr. King stopped, put his arms down as to say, I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to hurt you. And, and it surprised the guy that was trying to hurt him because he was hoping for a fight. And then as he saw the other people running towards him, Dr. King stopped him and said, no, no, don't you dare hurt him. Don't you dare touch him. Now he'd been knocked to the ground. He'd been hit more than once. And now he's standing there with his arms down, just saying, we're not going to hurt him. We're going to pray for him. And then at that moment, he prayed for him. Now, if you didn't believe he believed in nonviolence, everyone in that audience at that moment believed it because he just lived out exactly what he'd been talking about. Because if at any moment we decide to go against our values, that's the hard part about being a leader. People are watching us all the time. They're watching what we do, how we do it, how we lead, how we treat people. If we say that's important, then it should be important. If we believe that's a strategy, then it should be a strategy that we're utilizing. And so that was the moment where people said, yep, that's the right person to, to share this vision 
about the content of someone's character, not the color of their skin, because he believes in what he's talking about. He's willing to walk the talk. Today's topic, some of it is personality, right? Absolutely. Yeah. When I go through a specific kind of thought process for companies, a lot of times what they ask is, okay, how do I change this behavior? I need these people to do this. And I, I would call that, and these are fancy terms, but it's your competence, right? So what behaviors or how competent um, do we want our people to be? So almost always when people first hire you, they will say, all right, we need these behaviors. We need our leaders doing this. We need to create accountability. We need to be able to get better feedback. They're not communicating well. And they'll tell me these competencies that they're looking to increase in people. So they need to be able to do their job like this. They have a bad attitude, whatever it is. Those are more personal, but it could be more specific. They need to be able to do this process like that. So we're always trying to work on competencies. I have two more C's for you because you can have the right competency, but if you're not careful, the other two that I always try to remind companies of is your culture and how you connect with people. So the overall experience that someone has as part of the culture, how they're onboarded, how they're taken care of, what we were just talking about, the difference between the culture and the climate. The culture is we say we believe in this, but the, if you ask the people, they would say, it's not true. They don't believe in it. That's the real climate. So if you checked and said it should be at 75 degrees and they believe it's hot, <laughs> it's actually 78 or 80 or 85. That's where you get an idea of your culture is because it's the real interaction where the rubber meets the road of what you say you're going to do compared to what's really happening and what your people are saying, culture versus climate. So I always talk about that. That's one of your other C's. So if you're going to institute people's behavior, make sure the experience that they're having within that culture is really good. And then the second one is connect. So how do you engage your people? Because I could be creating a behavior over here, interact over here, but the culture's terrible. They don't want to be there. And finally, the person that's connecting with them, the leader or the people that are connecting around them are repelling human beings. So that's a bad thing. So as I'm trying to teach you something, if constantly shame, guilt, belittle, fear, whatever it is, losing my dignity every time I talk to you, you're probably not creating a very good culture. You're probably not connecting the way you think. You might get some results temporarily over here in the competency, but overall, they're going to go somewhere where they feel as though they can use their strengths and then they're valued for what they do. So those are my three. Always try to make sure if I'm interacting with someone, congratulations, work on their competency, but make sure your leaders understand how to connect with people effectively. And most importantly, have created an environment, a culture that people want to come to work and then go home and they're excited to come back. So those are my three. So culture, connect, and competence. Sounds like everything that we've been trying to move forward with. So one of the things that you said is like, how do I change behavior? So one of the things that we've been doing for onboarding and hiring is using a behavioral assessment. Do you use an assessment to help with that? I do actually. And Insperity uses one as well for our interacting with one another. We use the, the DISC assessment. All of our new employees get an opportunity to take a DISC assessment. My absolute love is the personality information, human beings. And then that part, how do you create a culture where people are connected so that they can do their job competency? And that's why I put those three together. How do I create an environment where people love to bring their strengths to the table, connect? So I'm connecting with you. You feel understood. You feel valued. And then ultimately, I'm going to get the most out of your competency. But it's always backwards. People are like, 
we need people to do this. I'm here to tell you, most people that you're hiring can do their job, but when they don't feel as though they're using their strengths and ultimately they're in a culture that is just raw or abrasive, you can have people that are highly talented and even want to be great at it, but the leader isn't connecting with them. They're not connecting with the people. So you lose them not on their competency, you lose them on the connect and the culture side. And so I'm sure y'all experienced this where you've got somebody that's highly talented, really good at their job, but they don't fit. They're a terrible culture fit. The way they treat people causes them, even though they're highly competent, the way they treat people and the way they create an experience for people is so bad that you have to let them go. I just had a conversation yesterday about an operations manager that was with a company that went from 2 million to 20 million. And somebody I know was looking to potentially hire them. They said he was an amazing operations manager, but there were a lot of changes and the owner of the company did not allow him to hold anyone accountable anymore. Right. And she was like, he checked out. And that's yeah. what happens. Like you just said, he was competent. He went with the company from two to 20 million. And then for whatever reason, they stopped him from being able to do what he was really good at. And he's, yeah. he stopped. Yeah, I'll say this in jest, a little joke, but I'm going to give you this little thought process. Leaders influence emotions, drive people and people drive performance. So those are like my three in a row. So I know that leaders influence emotions because interacting with someone that connecting and, and creating that culture, leaders influence emotions, drive people and people drive performance. So just like what you just said, those three parts make sense to me because I have found that I was highly engaged and ready to do my job. And all that had to happen that day was a bad leader walk in, influence my emotions negatively. And the next thing I had to spend 10 minutes getting myself back in shape so I could do my job again. So th this is why I love this material is that when someone understands the impact that they have, the influence that they have on a person to be great, to inspire them, what a great gift that we have. What a blessing we have as a leader to be able to share the paths that we've taken, the moments in time that we've learned so we can teach and coach them, developing through a process, even holding someone accountable, but you can hold them accountable to having losing their dignity. You can say things in such a way that allows someone to feel as though, wow, I'm getting good coaching right now. I'm not about to be fired. And there's just a, a way that you treat people. So I always think that same thing. It's, I was doing really good today until that leader walked up. Now I'm going to spend 15 minutes upset with just in general. So there's leaders that just can find a way to demotivate you. And to your point, cause someone that's highly competent to question if they want to be in that environment anymore. When people are overwhelmed or struggling and we have, like I said, we have over 80 offices. And so one of the things I get to do is every so often remind people that there's a, there's certain things you have, you do have control over. You don't necessarily have control of what's happening in the environment and everything else all the time, but you can decide how you're going to respond to it. There's a difference between react and respond. React typically psychologically means that you're going to be afraid or angry. And so it's a little part of the brain, that fight or flight system we all talk about. About fight, we're about to just, you know run. So I try not to use the word react very often when I'm trying to create something positive. Plus, if you went to a doctor and the doctor said, oh, you're having a reaction to this medicine. I try to remind myself that's negative. Oh, you're responding to this treatment. Oh, good, that's positive. So when you think about this idea of react versus respond, I want my managers or leaders to say, okay, I got to stay away from creating reactions. I want to move towards um, having a better response. And then what, you're, what you were just talking about a second ago was that idea is that when you don't understand people and you don't understand yourself, you're going to get a lot of reaction. 
you're going to get fear. You're going to anger. You get misunderstanding. You're going to devalue that person. They're going to walk away without their dignity. That's reaction. But if I understand you and where you're coming from and the environment that you like to be in, the strengths that you have and value for those, and then help you interact in that way, according to those values, those strengths, then all of a sudden I'm able to respond. You're responding to me. I'm responding to you. And the relationship gets better. And it doesn't matter what relationship. It's father, son, it's mother, daughter, it's husband, wife, it's friends, it's relationships in general. And that's again why I love this. But if I if I can do this really fast, the F and fast stands for focus. And I always think about three things in focus. So what you see, what you say, what you do. So you can focus on a lot of things, but you have control over what you focus. And a great quote is, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could forget our troubles as quickly as we seem to be able to forget our blessings? And I think we can do that pretty fast. We look around and see all the troubles around us and focus on that and miss all of the blessings that we have on a daily basis. Boy, if you've watched any of the stuff that's happened in this world over the last year, we can get focused on the wrong stuff pretty quick. And then we miss all the opportunity that's in front of us to make a difference, to be kind, to add compassion or patience back into this world, whatever we want. And so the more you focus on something, the more you get it. But I always use this term too. What you focus on is also what you miss. So if you're so focused over here, you're missing everything that's over there. And I'm so focused on making sure that you're doing this, that I miss all the great attributes that you have. Or when you're talking about your personality information or using the predictive index, I'm so focused on my vantage point that I miss all the other perspectives that could be valuable. I'm so focused on what I do and how I do it and how I want you to do it, just like me, that I forget that I've hired you with all these alternatives and abilities. And so I won't even let you be you. I just want you to be more of me. Now we'll have some fun. Today actually is my anniversary, 27th anniversary with my wife. But I, I want to see if I can make fun of this for a second, because one of the great things about the personality information is you get focused on the wrong stuff. So we get married. I do. I love you more than anyone. I love you more than anyone. For richer, poorer, for sickness and in health. And then as I'm walking down the aisle, I turn to my wife. I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating too much, but it's pretty close. I just want to let you know, honey. I, I, and then they're over in the crowd. Please, for the first time, help me welcome Mr. Pete and Wendy and Ahosa. And then I turned to her and say, all right, let's get started fixing you. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to spend the next several years fixing you. I don't know why we do this, but that's the natural tendency of human beings is that you don't handle the situation the way I do. So I need to fix you. My wife is the opposite of me. So she's more emotional. She handles things a little differently. I think we should get things done. She thinks we should slow down and think about people and their feelings. And I'm like, that's why you get into trouble all the time because you're worried about how people feel. And I'm sitting there. So let's move forward, make things happen, get things done. Don't you even care about people? Of course I care about people. Move, go, let's go. And as we're talking, I, I kept finding that I would say to myself, she gets her feelings hurt all the time. We're both teachers. She's always struggling with her students or her parents. She's afraid of having a confrontation. So she needs to be fixed. And I would even ever so often be bold enough to tell my friends, yeah, I've been working on it. I think I've fixed her. Now I'm using this term in the nicest way I can. I don't really mean fix her, but what I'm trying to do is make her more like me. And the reality was she was never going to be like me. Now for fun, I, after years of trying to fix her, I thought, you know what, let's take her to Disney World for our 25th anniversary. And do you know that Disney is a great place? All of a sudden she's more outgoing. She's friendly. She's excited. She doesn't have to plan everything all the time. I was like, my God, I fixed her. Now here's the scary part. She comes back home. Two days later, she's right back to where she was. I was like, what? 
wait, we fixed it. You're outgoing. You know, Disney put a little, you know, magic around her. Next thing you know, she's doing stuff she wouldn't normally do. But when she's back home, now she's right back to the way she was. I was like, Disney is good for maybe a couple of days, but I'm just going to let you know for fixing people, it's incredibly expensive and it doesn't work because they're always going to go back to their same natural style, the way they like to do that. So when you're thinking about this, just as a leader, you're not trying to fix people. You're trying to help them with their strengths and what they see this weird perspective that they seem to have. That's not, it's not to your point. It's not silly. It's not anything. It's that's the way they interact in an environment. And wouldn't it be great if I could help them reach their goals and then also be themselves while they're doing it? Because the chances of fixing them are real slim. Anyway, that's just the first part. That's focus. Yeah, focus. So what we see, what we say, and what we do. So if we focus on the wrong stuff, including with people, we're going we're gonna to say the wrong thing. We're going to see them the wrong way. And we're going to do the wrong things. Now, that goes for us as well. When we focus on the right stuff, we're going to see it the right way. We're going to say it the right way. And we're going to do the right things. All right, let's go to the, the next one really quick. Attitudes. You've heard the term attitudes, a little thing that makes a big difference. And that was a huge thing with my dad. We get to um, choose our attitude each day. We get to choose the opportunities that we have and, and how we're going to go about embracing them. And that's why I said a second ago, when your outlook doesn't look good, try your uplook because it always looks good. That's a Zig Ziglar saying, but I've had to do that a lot recently. You look out at this world and you start to question, is this whole world being crazy? What's going on with them? Why are we getting more and more divided? And then I have to stop myself and go, wait a minute, that's my outlook. I'm going to try my uplook. Have you ever heard this? You've got your head down. I'm talking about just put your head down. But every so often when you look up, there's completely different opportunities. You can see it in a different way. And to me, that's part of the problem is we got our head down so much and so often we forget to look up. And then even greater, my faith causes me to look up even higher than that at a standard that's something greater than myself. There are two parts to choosing your attitude. One is what we call TIE, T-I-E. So it's temporary, isolated, and with effort, you can change it. Or you can think of it as PPP, permanent, pervasive, and you're powerless to do anything about it. So one more time. So PPP, permanent, everything around me is permanent. It's pervasive. The time limit is forever. It's pervasive. It's everywhere. And I'm powerless to do anything about it. So with that attitude, any struggles, any things that are happening, there's nothing I can do. Permanent, powerless, pervasive. Tie, or you can see it as temporary, isolated, and with effort, I can change. I can do something if I'm willing to overcome it. I, I read a story all the time, and this is a different book by Lewis Timberlake. It's called It's Always Too Soon to Quit. And do you all remember uh, Tom Monahan? He was the one that invented Domino's Pizza. So Tom Monahan, believe it or not, there was a, when he first started his business in 1960 with his brother, they started in Michigan. And I'm just real paraphrasing really quick, but it said, business didn't prove to be too good. And in 1965, five years later, when their partnership broke up, so now he's can't even work with his brother. The business continued to flounder. Three years later, a fire consumed the majority of the business. And the insurance company paid only 10 cents on the dollar. Now, that's the moment where how you see yourself, what you say to yourself, and what you're about to do, focus, is so crucial. Because now his relationship with his brother's broken up. The, the fires wiped out his business. And now all of a sudden, he's getting 10 cents to the dollar on something he spent five years trying to produce. 
Now, here's the crucial part. When you look and see yourself right in that moment, what do you pull up? How do you see yourself? What are you about to say to yourself? Now, in the story, it says, undaunted, the reigning brother was determined not to give up and quit. So in that moment, here's the files that he pulled up. Here's how he saw himself. And here's what he said. I see myself as undaunted. I'm determined. I don't quit. And I never give up. So when you go in these moments and you don't have a file that says who you are when things are hard and when things get tough, then you're turning over and your focus is wrong. You don't see yourself right. You don't say the right things and you're about to do the wrong things because when you pull up the file, it's, well, I'm powerless. This is permanent and it's pervasive. Most people would see that as a powerless moment and they can't do anything about it. The business is gone. Your relationship's broken up, but he chose to um, see himself a different way. I'm undaunted. I'm, I'm driven. I'm determined. I don't give up and I don't quit. And when you pull on that file, that allows you to do things completely different than people that pull on those powerless files. And this is the best part of this story. He ended up later, after struggling for two more years to make a go of his business, the young man faced foreclosure in 1970, that's five years later, his bank and principal creditor took over the business. Ten months later, the bank returned it to the owner, that's Tom Monahan, in worse condition than when he had taken it. He, watch this. He now faced over 1,500 creditors, debts amounting to $1.5 million, and more than 100 lawsuits. So in 10 years, the guy just keeps making it worse. And you think about it, most people at that time would say, all right, that's it. I'm powerless. It's permanent. And it's 10 years of permanence here. 10 years of trying to do something that's not working. And I, I don't know about you, I wouldn't want 1,500 creditors after me and debts over $1.5 million and then more than 100 lawsuits. 100? Golly. All right, now watch this. The next few months and years would prove to be a real test of, okay, I got to pull on my files now. What am I, how do I see myself? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? A real test of his faith, patience, perseverance, and courage. And he was willing to face those months and years with an expectation of success. When, we, when I talk about stuff like this, to be able to reframe something, to see yourself the right way, changes everything we do. And it comes from the word confidence is actually a combination of words. But that have you ever heard the Marine Corps Semper Fidelis? Mm -hmm. And you've heard that, that yeah. always faithful confidence is got fidelis in it. Confidelis is really what it is. It's to have faith that you can do this. And it's the, the faith that you have in yourself, confidence, confidelis. And so I can do this. And so when you develop confidence over time is because you've overcome moments like that. So when you pull on a file, you see yourself as undaunted. You see yourself as determined and driven. And then you've worked on that over your lifetime to say, you know what? That's it. This is rough, but I'm not quitting. That, I just don't have that gear in me. And that's why when I said focus is so crucial, it's because it's how you see yourself in those moments. It's what you say to yourself. It's what you do in those moments. And then finally, so he determined to overcome adversity, make it to the top. And then you know him now as Tom Monahan with a Domino's pizza. Most people don't get to see that part. Most people don't ever think about those things because even in this world we're living in, is it's everywhere. I'm powerless. This entity over here is controlling everything. No, I have to work within that boundary. It's temporary, isolated with effort. I'm going to overcome that liability or that compliance issue or that regulation. One of the ways I can do it is use somebody that's an expert in that field. And I think that's one of the things we choose to do, even by using someone like Insperity. We choose to find a way to make it through here. 
or we can do it the other way, which is we find it permanent, powerless, and pervasive. Anyway, that's an easy way to think about how to remind your people of this. Coming up next time on Colony Confidential. So there's four, four styles that we teach. The D personality, they want to get the job done. So that's the D personality. They're always looking to get things done. They're fast-paced, task-oriented, moving forward. The I personality, they like to have fun. All right, so the first one is the Ds. They want to get the job done. The Is want to have some fun, all right? The next personality is the S. The S personality wants you to be nice. Be nice. Oh my God, please be nice. And then the Cs want you to be precise. So they're being precise. Don't rush it. They got to be precise. If you want to find out more about Insperity, how it can help your business, give them a call at 844-942-3259. That's 844-942-3259. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe and review. Send us anything you want us to know about at colonyconfidential at gmail.com.